the race might be over but the coverage of the 2018 Le Mans 24 hours is not over on Gareth Jones on speed yet It's been a while since we've done anything after the race. That sort of wind-down period that you get at the campsite on a Sunday night. If you are ever to come to the race and are able to stay the Sunday night, you kind of need it, which was what I was just discussing with Raf. How are you bearing up, Raf? It's been a big weekend for you. It's a big come-down. It really is. The whole build-up to the whole thing, the anticipation of it all, and then it happens. And now it's over, and it's like, oh, that's sad. Yeah, yeah, it is sad, yeah. It's okay, we can find solace in this self-help group together where we all have the same feeling. Steve, you have a feeling about this too, right? You sad because the race is over. Very sad, yeah. Look, I can see you're smiling, you're sad. (laughs) Steve, you always smiles. Vince, you tried to ride the track, what happened? Oh, I wanted to go up through under Dunlop Bridge and unfortunately they weren't letting people they were letting people come down from there but not going back up so unfortunately I had to ride back down which was still nice, it was good riding on the track lots of people down on the start finish. That's a heck of a hill isn't it from the Dunlop Bridge down, you get a sense of the power the cars need to blast up there Yeah and also the width of the gravel up there, they really kind of taken into consideration if something did come off that corner how much space you need, it's huge it's like a huge gravel beach you know when you see a big aircraft like a sterling bomber huge undercarriage because it carries a huge amount of mass on board it's the same with the mon vince isn't it it's it's a huge circuit 13.6 kilometers long and the cars are doing 220 something miles per hour at some points you're going to need huge runoff areas. You're right. I hadn't thought of it before. They're massive here, aren't they? Have you noticed that? Sir? And they're relatively heavy also. You've got a fast, heavy thing. Yeah, you need a decent runoff area and gravel trap to make it safe. OK, we're going to come back to this year's race eventually. But something that we did on the show last year wasn't it yeah last year where we told the story we picked a year from the fantastic history of the 24 hours and each did a sort of presentation as it were or tried to tell the story best we could and I think we'll do it in the same order again this year Zoggy you go first are you ready to do it I think so good Stevie and then I'll do mine so Zog you've got however long you've got if you see me hurrying you up you know we've all fallen asleep but you've chosen a year from the great tradition of Le Mans what year have you chosen? well I've chosen 2011 which was a race that we were here for and quite dramatic quite memorable for several reasons but to set the scene this was the height of the Audi Peugeot fight and in 2008 Audi beat Peugeot, 2009 Peugeot beat Audi, uh, 2010 Audi beat Peugeot, and 2011, going into the race, Audi realised that actually they probably didn't have an edge they'd possibly had previously in terms of being able to run a slightly more conservative race and use fuel economy and efficiency to run a good solid race and let the competition break themselves, outrace themselves and the solid Audi approach would bring them home and give them victory but 
I say, 2011 was different. They figured out that the Peugeots could do probably 12 laps per stint. The Audis could only do 11. So Audi ran their cars optimised for speed and downforce rather than economy. This would mean that they'd do two more pit stops over the course of the race, but if they've got a bit more speed, they can still win. Now, I'm sure you'll remember that an hour into the race, things became very dramatic when Alan McNish, overtaking a Ferrari just past the Dunlop Bridge, clips the Ferrari, rolls through the gravel and very hard into the wall, absolutely destroys the car. It was a really, really violent, horrible accident. He walked away from it, but and it's a testament to just how strong and safe those cars are. There were bits flying everywhere. I remember seeing footage of a photographer running away as one of the wheels bounced towards him. It was up on the S's, wasn't it? It was uh, as you came over the Dunlop yeah, Bridge. Yeah. And you write about the violence of it. It tumbled through the air, I mean, terrifyingly, didn't it? Yeah, and this reduces the Audi squad to two cars with four Peugeots still in the race. A few hours later, on the run-up to Indianapolis, Mike Rockefeller in one of the other Audis has, if possible, an even more spectacular crash, which takes out another Audi and brought the safety car out for, I think it was over two hours. It was right. a very, very long safety car period yeah. while they repaired the barriers. There was a lot of barrier damage. The safety car ran out of fuel for the first time ever. Only time it's ever happened at Le Mans. They sent the other one out before it ran out of fuel? They had to change safety car. The safety car they had out was running out, so they had to send another one out, fueled up, to take over from that. And there is now one remaining Audi, four Peugeots, and the way things shook out by about half through the race was that the Audi and the lead Peugeot were pretty much swapping the leads pit stop by pit stop. They would leapfrog each other as each car pitted. But there are four Peugeots chasing down one Audi. One of those Peugeots was run by Orica, if I remember. There were three run by the Peugeot team. Three 908s, and there was one 908 um, from the previous year. So Audi and Peugeot were trading the lead pit stop by pit stop, more or less. And as the end of the race is approaching, it looks as if Peugeot have an advantage and hang on I'm yep yeah, I can pick it up don't worry I want to know what happens next don't you mm. Zog's just checking his notes here you know he's a stickler for getting things right um, good job because I'm rubbish mm. I remember being here for that year and eating cake, I think, that was made for me by Jill, a Scottish fan of Alan McNish. Very good. We're going to cut all this bit out, though. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we're not. I like a bit about cake. It was good cake. Mm. Good, cake. good cake. These people, good friends of ours, people we met here who camped at this site and drove down from Scotland, from Glasgow, all the way Just down. Just to bring you a cake. Hey? Just to bring me a cake, and that was a How's very good cake, banana cake. Oh, may I ask Yes, rough. Are you looking for any comments as we go, or do you just want to hear the story straight? Uh, no, comments are good. Yeah, yeah. If we can pick up where we are. Near, um, of a non-sexual and racial nature. Uh, there was a comment yes. about a giant undercarriage, which I found it very difficult to stay quiet. 
giant undercarriage. Does that mean something different to you? Somebody had a giant undercarriage. Sterling bomber. I just wanted to laugh. I was just thinking engineering. That's great. Doesn't even occur to me. So as the end of the race is approaching, Andre Lotterer in the number two Audi comes out of what should have been the penultimate pit stop in the lead, so it's looking good, but picks up a slow puncture. So the lead Peugeot is chasing him down. The number nine Peugeot and Lotterer come in for pit stops at the same time. The Audi now needs to change tyres as well as fuel, so it slows down the pit stop but he comes out of the pits just ahead of the Peugeot but on fresh tyres you know manages to pull away and the race ends with the Audi beating the Peugeot by just under 14 seconds it was 13.8 something seconds an insanely close finish for for, for a race and it's I think the first time since 1969 that the last lap of the race was actually run at full speed rather than being you know a kind of winding down lap as it usually is when the lead car is several laps ahead maybe they're arranging a formation finish but in a way that isn't even the best story of the race I think because back in GTM there was a team Robertson Racing run by a husband and wife team David and Andrea Robertson from the States who were involved in commercial aviation and their passion was racing and they decided to race a Ford GT in the ALMS now David Robertson had in his younger years been a big fan of Ford GTs at Le Mans and had always dreamed of racing Ford GTs and so they got a Ford GT they were racing this car in the ALMS without tremendous success so they put a fair bit of effort into developing the car making it quicker they got to Le Mans and started second to last Um, second to last not last second to yeah second to last overall in the then new GTM category but they ran a remarkably clean race stayed out of trouble kept making up places as other cars were having problems late in the race they had a paddle shift failure which could have absolutely stuffed them but fortunately they'd left the sequential link hardware in the car when they'd done the paddle shift conversion so they just switched it back in the pits and were able to carry oh, on nice. Um, and oddly enough passed a Ferrari which had made a place on a Ferrari which had exactly the same problem but wasn't able to shift back to sequential because they hadn't left the links in and when the checkered flag dropped, they ended up in third place. Wow. And married couple, David and Andrea Robertson, were on the podium at Le Mans. Oh. The only married couple ever to finish on the podium. Oh. On their wedding anniversary. Oh. Uh, <laughs> in a Ford GT, which, oh. you know, David Robertson had dreamed of racing oh. as a kid. And this was not a factory-backed entry. This was not a Ford factory entry. This was a privateer team, proper privateers they've never come back to Le Mans because even though they came third in class, they weren't able to get enough sponsorship to carry on and you know, racing's an expensive game and they had to put a lot of their own money into it to make it work and they just couldn't carry on doing that I remember them finishing the race and what a terrific story it was I'm glad you've brought that up I don't remember that at all 
and I'm usually fairly aware of Ford's at Le Mans, but no, I miss that. I think it's a great little story. It's, 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 a, it's a wonderful, you know, you know, it shows that the privateer entrance can write a great story. Um, Tell me their names again. David and Andrea Robertson. We salute you. This is actually Richard Porter's fault because I just thought it would be a nice idea to tell stories of old races while we were at Le Mans, just it was a good idea, and try something out. But Richard heard it and said, that was really great, I really like that. So I thought we'd give it another shot and see if we can better our stories from last year. I'm wondering what year you've chosen, Stevie, because Zog's year, 2011, is absolutely heartbreakingly happy sad in the same time. What year have you chosen, Stevie Sackett? 1969. Great choice. The story of the 24 hours of Le Mans, 1969, told by Stephen Sackett. Go on, Stevie. Okay. The first thing to say about 69, there was a big change in the rules. There was a ban on aerofoil assistance. And this was quite controversial at the start because whilst most of the factory teams, Ferrari... Matra and Alpine rearranged their aerodynamics, their bodywork, so they would comply. Porsche took a slightly different approach, and with the 917s that they were running, they demonstrated in practice that this car was undrivable with fixed trim. And they, I think it was Stommelin, drove around the track with the trims fixed and almost crashed the car on several occasions. 225 miles per hour down the Montana Strait. Is that right, Zog? Is something like that? 225 miles per hour? The figure that sticks in my head is 240-ish down the oh, Montana really? Strait. Wow. So that's how quick wow. uh, of course. cars have run down there. Yeah, so I think they were doing more like 240. Terrifying velocities. Terrifying velocities. And if out of control, that's really very frightening. So they managed to convince the stewards that they should be allowed to run the car with movable trim although I think on the 908s they fixed the trim so they were fully compliant with the rules so the other main challenges to the Porsches were going to be Ferrari Matra Alpine Ford were running some 5 litre Westlake head V8 engines but these were already getting a little bit old Um, and technologically didn't seem to be competitive with the more advanced, particularly the Porsches, which were extremely confident on the start line. One of the things that I read about it was the fact that Ford were relying on efficiency, much more efficiency. And there were some figures I read about the time between refuelings. The 917s, the Porsches, were having to refuel after just over an hour, whereas the Matras were the same, but they were a bit slower. The 908s were going for one and a quarter hours, but the GTs and the Ferraris were getting a one and a half hours on a single tank of petrol. Wow. So efficiency. Exactly. Much more efficient. Slow, but efficient. And as we know, efficiency is a big part of the spec for the ACO for this race. The index yeah. of efficiency is something important to the essence of the race. Good ploy. Yeah, absolutely right. On the starting line, there were 45 cars, and Porsche were really extremely confident they were running I think it was three 917s and three 908 factory cars the start proved also pretty controversial when Jackie X decided to take a leisurely stroll 
across the track to his car as opposed to the sprint that everybody was supposed to do. This was a protest, wasn't In it? protest about the dangers of this running across the track and getting into your car and driving away. So he strolled very leisurely across the track, made a very good point of sitting in the car and doing up his seatbelts, which was proven to be incredibly important as the third 917 crashed on the very first lap of the race and some of the stories say that the reason that it was uh, John Wolfe was driving was killed was the fact that he wasn't wearing his seatbelt but I don't know if that's true or not interesting though I've heard that too so you going to say something? One of the anecdotes often repeated about the 917 is that some of the early cars were so scary to drive that a lot of the factory drivers really did not want to race them and yeah but you know privateer John Wolfe was happier to jump at the chance paid the price no it was a very sad and one of the Ferraris the Ferrari driven by Eamon hit Wolfe's 917 the wreckage of the 917 and caught fire as well and then he was out but Eamon survived he survived to retire to New Zealand in the later years so the start of the race the two remaining 917s were dominant as expected but behind them there were all sorts of niggling issues a lot of cars having problems by 9pm the leading Matra was up to second place the Simcoe engine go 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 yeah no do it before being beset by electrical problems classic dropping back the Gulf team Fords appeared completely outclassed at this point were way down the field and seemingly just simply without enough pace to (sighs) compete by 2am Another thing that I read about this was the race started at 2pm mm-hmm. for political reasons, but I didn't find out what, I, what there was. There was probably a national election right. and they wanted to give people time to vote. So after 12 hours at 2am, there was a Porsche 123. The 917 of Elford and Atwood was leading and then followed by two 908s by Mitter and, and Schutz and Cowson and Linz. Ferrari at this stage were nowhere. Aim and crash really demotivated the team and they were just not competitive at all. Not surprising. Yeah. 4 a.m. The second Porsche, the second 908 with Schutz, crashed at the end of the Mulsanne Strait. Again, burst into flames, but, but Schutz did survive. He got out of the car, shaken but alive. Then by 10 a.m., the Elford and Atwood 917 was six laps ahead of Kausen and Linsen and ten ahead of Ix and Oliver in the first Ford, but very, very far ahead. Can I just pause for one minor second? Yeah. Just to imagine Jackie Oliver and Jackie Ix in a GT40. Just Jackie Ix in a GT40. Mm-hmm. That's about as motorsport 60s slash 70s and sexy as you can get really Jackie Hicks of course was here for the opening yeah. of the race he's a big part of Le Mans yeah. please tell me more Jackie Hicks I will, I will. <laughs> by 11am so three hours before the finish the leading 917 it had started to slow and at 11am it retired with the gearbox failure oh. which should have handed the lead to the first 908 of Kelsen and Linz who broke down at exactly the same time so suddenly the two lead Porsches both on retired the on the same lap three hours before the finish catapulting the X Oliver GT 
into the lead of the race. So, you know, steady and reliable and efficient. They had worked their way up through the field and suddenly, three hours before the end, they were leading. Porsche had one 908 left, driven by Herman and LaRousse, which was a much faster car and was catching the Ford rapidly. They were on the same lap. 12.34, it stopped for fuel and the 908 took the lead so, so they took the lead at 12.42 the 908 stopped for fuel these were the last fuel stops and X retook the lead so the two fuel stops they were back and forth stopping the lead to the end you know? and it was apparently it was just extraordinary it was back and forth four or five overtakes on the last few laps they were back and forth between the two the Porsche much faster on the straight the Ford going around the bends quicker so they were back and forth and back and forth X was trying to get ahead just before the finish and apparently got ahead and crossed the finish line but fractionally before the 24 hours were up and so had had to do do one more lap and again lost the lead and took the lead and they were back and forth and back and forth into the last lap in the end X managed to pull it off and he won the race yeah. by the closest margin I think ever recorded. Uh, really? Uh, no, yeah, I, I didn't know uh, that. I think it was the closest margin. I think it was around 100 metres. Which, considering the fact that he had walked at a leisurely pace yes. on the start line, again, made that margin of victory even more extraordinary. Yeah, that's uh, cutting it about as tight, about as close as you can. Absolutely right. A few final points. So that was Ford's fourth and final outright victory in the series. Closest victory, 100 metres. First of Jackie X's six victories in the race. Apparently, X then crashed his own car when driving back to Paris the next day <laughs> um, into a telegraph pole which he wrote off and he was actually driving a Porsche 911 really <laughs> nice punchline no Stevie 1969 what historic you? beautiful you can see it you can almost smell the oil of the cars when it happened right here okay I'm going to tell you mine after this prepare yourselves Garrett Jones and speed The bottle of Breton cider I've been saving. I forgot about it. I'm going to sip this while I tell you the story of the year I've chosen for Le Mans. Because Zog's holding the microphone for a change and I get to refer to my notes because there's a lot of detail in this and I want to get it right. I want to impress you, Zog, because the detail's important. You and me, mate. So the year I've chosen for Le Mans is the 24 Hours of Le Mans 1980. So I'm already 19 years old, right? I don't remember this year, but I've looked into it and I've chosen it for a very, 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 very important reason, which you'll get at the end. It was the 48th running of the 24 Hours of Le Mans. There were 100 entrants. Uh, Then pre-selected 65 through testing and all that. These days, everyone goes through. In those days, not everyone got through to the race. Eventually, there were 55 starters. Sip of cider. Now, there have been many rule changes since Le Mans was run in 1980. The rules that they were running to then, the cars were Group 6 sports cars. So this was an FIA category, Sports Plus 2. So it's over 2 litres, Group 6, 
two-seater racing cars. These rules were from, what, 76 to 1982. And to give you an idea of those sort of cars, do you remember the Chevron B36 Lola? Yeah. Yeah? That's a Group 6 sports car. There was another category as well. The GTP, which is a name that might yet come back, yeah? Grand Touring Prototypes. And Zog, you're going to love this. One of them was a Porsche 924 Carrera. Very good. WM had some prototypes of Peugeot engines running and lots of Lolas in that class. GTP2. So curious. Sports cars and road cars in the same class. Then there was the IMSA class. So Porsche 935 K3s, like the model I actually bought today. Some Ferrari 512s. And then there's another group. Group 5, Porsche 935s and Lancia Monte Carlos. Imagine a Lancia Pretty Beta nice. Monte Carlo racing here in Le Mans trim. More on that to come. Final class, GTX Experimental class, based on the GP5 rules. And there was one BMW M1 running in that category. And I think it may have been running on ethanol or some change of fuel. I'm not certain. If I've got that wrong, forgive me, and I probably have got it wrong. But the grid was 12 Porsche 935s. Some were K3s. Five BMW M1s. Now that's a car you want to see racing here, isn't it? Four Ferrari 512 BBs, LM edition. Four Porsche 934s. Droopy Snoot, Droopy Snoot, yeah. Three Porsche 924 Carreras. And it was Norbert Singer who'd worked on these cars. Norbert Singer who'd, I think, driven for Porsche or certainly been a Porsche designer for a long time. He was top man. And one of those finished sixth. Um, no, no spoilers, but one of the Porsche 94s finished sixth overall. Overall. Bit of a tease ahead. Right. Three Lola T298s. Three Lancia Beta Monte Carlos prepared by Delara. And I'd forgotten that. Delara were doing that then. The key players in the race, though, there were three Rondos. Jean Rondo, local lad from Le Mans, racing driver had worked on a programme to develop a car that had been partially successful. thought, right, I'm going to make my own car this time, not for someone else. That would be called a Rondo. Developed this thing called the M379. And there were three of those running, two famously in black, one with Le Point sponsorship. I always wonder what Le Point was. It's a French newspaper, sort of satirical news weekly magazine thing. So I want a T-shirt that says Le Point in yellow and black. I mean, you'll see the car. When you see the Rondo, you'll know why. <laughs> the other Rondo is number 15 in ITT colours. Very European transistor technology of its age. And a third Rondo, number 17, called the Rondo Belga, run by the Belga group. Mainly Belgian drivers. I think probably all three Belgian drivers. So they were up against some of the great names. Gordon Spice, Philippe Martin, Jean-Michel Martin, two Belgian brothers racing in a car. Well, that's notable to have a pair of brothers. There were three WMP 79s, two Chevron B36s, one Porsche 908 slash 30. Now, I don't really fully understand this, but this is Jackie X's car. Porsche had refused to sell a 936 to customers. So they reclassified this car as a 908, which is in fact a 936 underneath. You'll understand that better than me. That's how I read it. Reinhold Joost was in the car with Jackie X. I mean, we know how good Reinhold Joost is. 
Thank you, Audi. So, other names. Well, yeah, there was a Decadenay Lola, a Porsche 911 SC, a Mazda RX-7, Stevie, I thought you'd like that, in the IMSA class, one Lola 297, and one Dome RL80. You've got to see that car. Please, if you're ever looking for a car you've never seen before, the Dome RL80. The longest, lowest Le Mans car you would ever imagine. Finally, one Acela PA8, one Todge SMO1. I've never even heard of that. But some cars didn't even make the starting grid. One was a De Tomaso Pantera, unfortunately. The others were a couple of Lambretta LW80s. I had no idea Lambretta made performance cars, let alone no. endurance cars, and they look great. A Lotus Esprit S1, never made the cut, and a car with a name I'm not even certain I'm allowed to say on the radio anymore, but I'm going to say it. The car was called a Sambo Turbo. I mean, how did they get away with that? You can't. I know it means something completely innocent, but it has such overtures, you can't even say that. It was a Saab. A Sambo Turbo. I don't know. Look it up. Great names here. Jackie X, of course. Reinhold Yost. Gordon Spice. Big Dick Barber. Big American racing driver. When I say big... How they ever got him in a car? He was a big, big, big man. It's good though. Bobby Ray Hall, Henry Pescarolo, of course. I mean, some of the greatest names in Le Mans are here. Hans Stuck. It goes on. And a lesser name in Le Mans history. You're gonna love this. Driving alongside Lella Lombardi Zog in an Ocella. Mark. My mother's called Margaret Thatcher. Good grief. Mark Thatcher, you know, he's a bit of an adventurer. No. He raced here at Le Mans. No. Well, I have no well. real respect for that drive, but it's, it's a quantum level improved. So Mark Thatcher and with Lella Lombardi, for heaven's sake. John Cooper, yes, John Cooper in a 935 Porsche. Marku Allen was driving one of the Lanchers. I mean, how good is this? Tiff Needell in a Hesketh that didn't qualify. Andy Rouse, some Britain's greats. Derek Bell, some of the greatest Frenchmen. Didier Peroni and Alain de Cadenet. I know he's not French, put him in there. He was racing in the car of his own name. Yeah. And possibly the best name for any French motor racing driver I've ever, ever heard in my life. Thierry Perrier. I mean, isn't that perfect? You want Perrier sponsorship on the car. I hope you're enjoying the skidding going on, a bit of hooning on the country roads around the Porsche curves. I think it's in Cairo 7. Maybe that's actually on the curves. It's on the track, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cheeky boys. How are they getting away with it? Don't know how they got up there. That's a happy sound. Yeah, I think we're going to go and have to take a look at that in a moment. Okay, let me tell you about the, the rest of the story. The best name ever, Thierry Perrier. The brothers... Don and Dale Whittington. I like it when brothers race together. And a father and son team. I love this. And this is part of Le Mans. They were both called John Paul. So it was John Paul Sr. and John Paul Jr. <laughs> Americans. Jacques Bienvenue. Isn't that a great name for a Canadian driver? Yeah, Jacques Bienvenue. It's good to see you. I've got to go now. Other great names at the race for the teams. Porsche system. I mean, that's where this logo became famous from. Porsche Crema Racing, Lancia Corse, Jolly Club, that fantastic Italian race team called Jolly, I'm in the Jolly Club, always makes me laugh, 
Martini Racing, Liqui Molly, Porsche, Scuderia Supercar, Belancauto. Let me say that again. Scuderia Supercar, Belancauto. I mean, isn't that a team you want to drive for? Couldn't make that up. Alpha Cubic Dome. We're from the future zone. We are Alpha Cubic Dome. Dorset Racing Associates, which featured none other than Nick Mason, drummer of Pink Floyd, who finished 75 laps down in a Lola. I had no idea Nick Mason raced here. He does like his cars. He loves yeah, his cars. He really does. I didn't know he could drive. And the most unusual entry was the all-Canadian racing entry, which, despite the name, had an American driver. <laughs> Two Canadians, Murray Edwards. Hi, my name's Murray Edwards. That was, sorry, that wasn't right. Yeah, Murray Edwards and Richard Valentine, who was American. Only two guys in that car. Um, oh, no, three drivers. Something Carter, Murray Edwards, and Richard Valentine, the American. I've actually clipped off his first name here. That's fair, calling him something. Yeah, it's a strange, unusual first name. Not so unusual in Canada. <laughs> oh, something, right. So, the race. I'll rattle through this for you. So, I want to get to a point about the end. But the number 15 Rondo driven by Henri Pescarolo, is on pole. But on the first lap, he loses it to Porsche. On the first lap, he was on pole, overtaken by the Porsche. Very, very, very wet start. One of the wettest starts in Le Mans history. Six laps in, one of the Lanchers retires, Theo Fabi's car. Poor old Lancher, you know, not the greatest reliability, let me tell you. Then you get intermittent rain and shine. By 8pm though, Reinhold Yost has taken the lead in a car he's sharing with Jackie X. Just two people in that car. So another glimpse into the age. Six hours in, Henri Pescarolo now takes the lead. Jean Rondo, now he's sharing the number 16 car with Jean-Pierre Jussaud. They're running third. However, by one o'clock in the morning, number 15 Rondo, the Pescarelli Jean Ragnotti car, blows ahead, gassed it. The favourite. One of the favourites. So the number 16 takes the lead, this sort of independent French entry. Clutch cable is replaced in Dick Barber's 935 Porsche. He's down to third place. The Ronda Belgo is now in second place. So Rondo have got 60% of the podium there. 12 hours in, the Porsche in the lead extends that lead to nine minutes. 6.30 Sunday morning, the number nine Martini Porsche, 908, Jackie X, Reinhold Yost car is leading just one lap ahead of the Rondo, the number 16 Rondo, in second. Dick Barber's 934 is now eight laps down in third. 10 a.m., the leading Porsche pits with gearbox trouble. The number 16 Rondo eventually takes the lead with a five-lap advantage, so French boy has got the win of the race for an unfancied car, really. Jean-Paul Jussot gets into Jean Rondo's car. Rondo gets out and decides to take the car to the end. Eventually, the 908, that had been leading, gets going again and chases the Rondo down. So it's a chase for the line in the final few hours. The unfancied car against the unreliable but very experienced top team in a top car. The rain returns. Oh, just what you need to add drama to something that's already genuinely close. The Porsche's on wets, but the 16 Rondo stays on slicks, spins, 
stalls, fails to start it, it won't start again. He has to get water and pour water onto the starter motor and on the third attempt it gets started again, gets in, rejoins the race. That's heroic stuff, isn't it? Heartbreaking. They'd known about the put water on the, they had to do this in the pits. Every time it came into the pits, they had to throw water on the starter, otherwise it wouldn't start. Is this a trick we should try if our <laughs> starters, I mean, I'm not sure. Water on the starter? Really? Yeah, really. It defies logic. I'm guessing it's so hot it evaporates immediately and creates some sort of short where there wasn't a connection or freeze something up. Who knows? It should expand it. Or it was just overheating. It was just maybe really hot and... Yeah, so it's just cooling so it again. If you cool it down, it, might it shrinks it again. It there you go. Yeah, yeah, that makes Ooh. sense. So the 908 Martini Porsche of Ixajost catches the Rondo. He's now only one lap down on the leader. The track dries, so the Rondo wins because it was on dries. It was that gamble of the weather. It just wasn't wet enough. Jusso driving Jean Rondo's car, the number 16 crosses the line wins by two laps in the end he's won once before he won in 1978 in a Renault with Didier Perodi I should add and the number 17 Rondo gets third place so the winning car is a Rondo with one of the drivers Jean Rondo from Le Mans there's streets named after him here there's a gymnasium and a street named after him this would be the only time Le Mans was won by a driver in a car of his own name and the last time Le Mans would be won by a car with a Ford engine. He ran the Cosworth, they tamed the Cosworth from being a highly strong Formula One block, they made it work and run for 24 hours and until Ford returned with the GT, that was the last Ford win but yeah that was the last time an outright win with a Ford engine car. That's surprising in a way, You'd, that seems that yeah. is quite a long time ago. Uh, After then it good was story. all Ferraris, you know, these Porsches, the modern winners, lots of French manufacturers, Matra and the like, although they built the chassis. And how did Rondo do in subsequent years? Well, the next year they brought five cars, two of Rondo's cars finished second and third, but Jean Rondo didn't finish the race, unfortunately, and sadly Rondo himself was killed in December 1985, only five years after this win, when his car was hit by a train outside Champagne, or Champagne, how you say it. He'd been following a police car across the train tracks while the boom gates were down. His car was hit by the train, the gates had closed for. But he's got a street and a gymnasium named after him and he created a unique achievement in Le Mans history, one of my favourites. Twenty past ten in the evening, and the Porsche Curves campsite's already emptying. The people who had their tent pitched next to us have just packed it all the way in the back of their Volvo, and Vince and I have immediately used it as a car park. Yeah, <laughs> well, we need to get stuff in and out of the cars in the pickup, so... Yeah, we've moved our cars back up to our pitch because it was a bit tight for space and we can do that in the morning now. Stevie, I've joined up on the bank. Well, I was looking for the hooleying, but it's all gone. Hooleying, yes, it's called hooleying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's the Irish version of hooning. <laughs> hooleying. Are you up for the hooleying? I am. Over. Yeah. Have they been stopped or did they stop? I don't know. Oh, I missed it all, as usual. I was too slow. 
But, yeah, so. I think the security probably got them out of here before. No, the gents uh, were asking if we we're going to bring the Mustang out. And that would be the great car to do some hooling. We can get there, can't we? Can't we? We could do that. Yes, could get there. But I think I think we get arrested. And I think one of the terms and conditions of the loan from Ford say I can't take it on a track. Fair enough. But if I were to drive it on a public part of the A. Was it the uh, e- A138, forget the name of the road, that becomes part of the circuit? Does that technically mean I've breached the requirements? If we drive along that bit of what was the circuit, this is now a public road, the A38, that's it. Is it. No, it's not the A38. <laughs> it's the, I forgot what it's called, the N something. Yeah. If I drive it on that as we go home tomorrow, I may breach the terms and conditions of my loan agreement. That's not really good. I wouldn't do that. That would be bad. That would be very yeah, bad. Definitely. Don't want to do that. There is another car just coming up to the Porsche Curves now from yeah. but a public road going very gingerly. Foot down. Is that a police car? What's that light in the window? No, it's just a reflective just window. Wrong turn. I think they're lost, are they? Yeah, headed, headed off down the track. Oh, that was the second one, wasn't it? It was an E-type. I think it was. Going down the Mulsanne straight the wrong way. Well... Not the Mulsanne straight, the straight after. Yes, and lead, leading, leading down yeah. to Mulsanne. That's yeah. right, that's right. Hey, have you enjoyed it this year? Oh, it's been wonderful. Was it an really? epic race, though, Stevie? Um, well, in parts, the GT Pro race, I thought, was fantastically exciting. The LMP1, it was inevitable. Mm-hmm. You know, Toyota came with such a, a kind of a clear plan as to what they were going to do, and they managed it to perfection. Hooray for them. It was. I was so pleased for them. I was so pleased that the Japanese drivers were driving at the end. They could have put Alonso in the car. and It just it wouldn't have been the same. Correct. It was Nakajima's drive to cross yeah. the line, wasn't it? That was respectful. Hooray it, for that. It yeah. was. It yeah. was. They deserved to win. They yeah. did everything right. They managed the race. They managed the risk. Yeah. They drove to perfection. You think it's inevitable. You say it's inevitable, but it really, really isn't. There are too many variables and huge respect to Toyota for overcoming all of those variables. Absolutely. Finally doing it. They deserve it. Yeah, That's but right. you have to earn it. After all of the disappointments. Oh, those yes. poor people. Those yeah. poor people. It's been a wonderful weekend. Yeah, it always is. Yeah, Every yeah. race is different. Right, let's find the rest of the gang. I may have asked you this before on this programme, or one of the programmes from Le Mans this year but I'm going to ask you again of the three cars that we've driven the KTM 7420R the Ford Mustang Shadow Edition or the Ranger which one would you have? You haven't asked me which one I'd have you asked me which one I enjoyed the most and the answer to that was the Caterham yeah which one I'd have I'm totally practical I'd have the Ranger correct no (laughs) (laughs) sorry I'd have the GT no, you, you, I, don't, I don't know. It doesn't matter, really. No, it depends it? Yeah. on what I was going to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like with three kids, I'd have the Ranger. But if I could leave the kids at home, the case, if the case room's out, you could probably get away with the Mustang because you get the kids in the Mustang. No, I no, no, no. no, I wouldn't want to have the kids in the Mustang. Yeah, they wouldn't appreciate no. it. <laughs> <laughs> Right, I was going to find Raf and Zog and give them... Oh, they're doing the washing. Let's go. Come on. They're doing the washing up. I think this is a first, isn't it? Finishing an episode of Gareth Jones on Speed with Zog doing some washing up, which he's famed for, isn't he, Stevie? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, he, he spends all his time 
washing up. Well, he's doing it right now. Here we are in the middle of the Porsche Curves camp, so 100 yards from an epic Porsche victory today. And Zog and Raf are doing the washing up. How's it going, boys? All right, uh, pretty good, pretty good, nearly done. I'm very pleased that you're doing the washing up. Well, you cooked us lovely dinner, so it's, uh, it's only right that someone else should wash up. All part of the service. Right, we've got a minute, 30 seconds each. The race, in one sentence, Zog. Fantastic to see Nakajima and Toyota finally win the race, particularly after the last couple of years of you know, extraordinary disappointment and heartbreak, really, the way it's worked out for them. So, yeah, a fantastic result. And of the three cars, the Caterham 7, the 420R, or the Mustang Shadow Edition, or the Ford Ranger, you're going to take the Ranger every time, aren't you? Which is your favourite? Which would you keep? I think I'm going to have to choose between the other two by the time we've completed the drive back it's not an easy call okay we've got the drive back to do i'd forgotten that i hadn't forgotten that but you're right we can't really come to a conclusion until then how much you love the mustang uh, quite a lot yeah, i'm pleased to hear that and how much you love the catering quite a lot that's the trouble it's very difficult isn't it raf you first the mom you haven't driven the mustang yet not yet no not the catering but i intend on changing that Tomorrow. We'll sort that out. Yeah. yeah, given that though, the Caterham 7 I think is probably the most beautiful, but the Mustang makes me smile the most. That's an interesting yeah. thought. And seems to make other people smile. Oh my god, I've never seen so many people look at a thing before. Yeah. 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 Everyone, everyone. <laughs> Especially kids, kids seem to really like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know if it's the colour, the sound it makes, combination of two of those things. The rarity factor, although it is the biggest selling sports car in the world, I believe, the Mustang. Yeah, that surprised me to hear that. I didn't yeah. know that. That's what they say. Yeah. But there you go. So I'll leave you to finish the rinsing up Raph lovely to have you at Le Mans oh man it's been an absolute honour it's been an absolute honour to be here with everyone and with you guys and be invited along for the first time I've said to you before we've been to a few races in the past and you never really get a sense of the race in the way that you do when you're watching it but it's all about the experience and it changes being at the race actually seeing it and hearing it especially smelling it adds so many different layers to the experience of a race it's untrue and this one is the king of that, I think. Like, yeah, you're not yeah, going to get yeah. a much better experience than you get here. You know, everything about this place, everything about the race, everything about all of it has just been incredible. I've, I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And you know I'll be back. I know you'll be back. I'm yet to meet someone who's come to Le Mans has not yet either said I'm coming back or immediately came back. You've been listening to Gareth Jones on Speed, the 2018 coverage of the Le Mans weekend with Vince Borg, with Raphael Perks, with Stevie Sackin, with Zog, and me, Gareth Jones. I wish you good night. It's unusual, yes, you finish your show with a good night. Hey, good night, thanks for listening. Why don't you come and join us at Le Mans next year? Tell them Gareth sent you. email see pictures get song lyrics join our facebook fan site follow us on twitter or to find out about sponsorship opportunities go to garethjones.tv gareth jones on speed is made in london by whiz bang gareth jones on speed, speed.